Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Well, how many of you have Alexa in your house? Let me see. And, and you, like, make her work, you know, and do things? Anybody? Not like vacuum the floor, but turn on the TV, turn off the TV. Anybody have? My first experience with, with Alexa was um, back a few years ago before she was all that, you know, before she was popular. And I was at some friend's house that are here in the service today, and I asked a question. I didn't know anything about Alexa yet, and I asked a question. Uh, I think we were going on a motorcycle ride, and I said, wonder what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. Now, I don't know if I said something or if they had her program, but I was sitting on the couch, and from in back of me, the speaker said, the weather tomorrow will be slightly overcast. How many know that'll freak you out? How many know what I'm talking about, right? I thought they had a devil in the house, but, uh, you know, and uh, it just freaked me out. Well, now we have Alexa in our house because I love Alexa, and we got all our lights programmed and things programmed to her, and just any time I'm watching television and somebody uses a word I don't know, I'll say, hey, Alexa, what is, and Alexa answers. It is wonderful having a servant in my house like that, right? And when it's bedtime, Alexa, turn off the lights. Alexa, turn on the master bedroom. I love it. Sometimes I'll mess with her, and I'll say, hey, Alexa, how much wood? Would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood, right? Uh, or why did the, when will pigs fly? Come on, does anybody else mess around with Alexa like this? Maybe it's just me, I don't know. My wife makes me be nice to Alexa. This really irritates me. I'm like, she's not real. And my wife is like just too nice. She's like, be nice to Alexa. The tone of your voice. I'm like, I'll tell her sometimes, Alexa, turn off the kitchen di- or the dining room, and she doesn't do it. And so, of course, come on, guys, support a brother up here. I have to raise my voice a little. That was weak. All right. And uh, that, that was just weak. And so I'll say, Alexa, turn off the dining room. And she'll say, honey, she works if you're nice to her. And then so she'll do something just to prove me wrong. Alexa, please turn off the dining room. And Alexa will say, I will, and thanks for being so courteous. I just can't win, you know. Because of technology, we have immediate access to answers now, don't we? I mean, hasn't Google made all of us brilliant? Well, maybe. (laughs) I mean, we can look up anything. We can ask for anything. But I just wonder, and here's the kind of the foundation of my message today. I wonder, though, as we live in a world that we have access to answers to everything, I'm just not so sure that wrestling with the question sometimes has more value than the answer itself. Mm. I think there's something about having to wrestle through the problem, wrestle through the question that gives you a little bit more ratification to the very thing that you're looking for. And so I'm going to approach Easter a little bit different today. And so, some of you that are just casual church attenders, we're glad you're here, but you can just rest real easy because I'm not here today to give you answers. I'm not Alexa, all right, everybody? Uh, um, Church is always trying to tell you what to do. Have you ever noticed that? Notice I said church because I want you to be included in the problem. Uh, Here's the way I should say it. Preachers are always trying to tell you what to do, right? Well, spoiler alert. Hey, Christians, spoiler alert real quick. We Christians, we don't always have the answers. 
Now, we have the answer, and I know that trumps everything. We have the answer, and the answer to everything is Jesus. We get that. But how many know sometimes life is vague, and life is lived a lot in the gray areas of life? Am I talking to anybody today? And, and, and so today what I want to do is I want to give you the questions, just two questions. The two, I'm calling them the two questions of Easter, and, and, and so that you have to grapple with and you have to wrestle with just a little bit. I thought instead of you telling you the answers and drawing the conclusions today, we would do that. We would investigate the questions of Easter. And, and as you answer these two questions, I have a feeling that you will preach the message to yourself. The two questions of Easter. Here we go. This is just two questions. I think you can endure them. Here we go. Question number one, and that question is, where are you? And, uh, and, and I know you're thinking, wow, these are really simple questions. Duck in. I'm right here. But I want to dig just a little bit deeper in this because this is an interesting question to me. Matter of fact, this question happens to be the very first question that was ever recorded in history. Where are you? This is the very first question that was ever asked, and, and, and I think because it's the first question that was ever asked in recorded history, it's the first question that was ever asked in the Bible, and it intrigues us, and it intrigues us more when we recognize it wasn't just a random question, but when we understand who's asking the question, it really brings intrigue, because it was God that was asking the question. And I know if you're a Christian here today, you're thinking, how could God be asking a question? Because after all, isn't God the sum total of every equation? Isn't he the answer? Come on, that's what Christians say. He's the answer. So how could an all-knowing God be asking a question when he's all that? You know, the thing I love about God is when we ask him questions, isn't it great he doesn't have to Google it? Isn't it great he doesn't have to go to the library to find out? He doesn't have to look for the answer. How many of you are grateful that he alone is the answer, right? He, he didn't have a beginning and he didn't have a creator. There was nobody before him and there will be nobody after him. Matter of fact, David tried to find his birthday when he was writing poetry in the Psalms and he finally concluded that God was from everlasting to everlasting. Come on, not too many can have that definition. Matter of fact, I think there's only one, right? And, and think about the power of the God we're talking about that's asking this question. In the beginning, he comes to the platform and stands on nothing because there is nothing to stand on. And he begins just simply by saying, let there be. And his voice is so powerful that molecules have to start forming and coming together and obeying his words and perform and invent the very thing that he's talking about. And as he says, let there be, and he comes to that platform and he does those. And, and I don't know how your imagination is, but I just have to imagine that the angels are gathered around and all of heaven is silent going, hey, Gabriel, check this out. Huh? Michael, what is he doing? And now, as he begins to proclaim the world we live in today, let there be. And he creates everything by the words of his command. So when we understand he's asking a question, something doesn't quite compute. The angels are watching as he's creating. And then he stoops down 
And you know this story. He stoops down and he gathers a handful of dirt, the very dirt that he had just created. And, and, and he creates Adam or he creates the human race. And I won't go into all of that. But he stooped down and he grabbed a handful of dirt. And I want you to see this picture real quick. Watch this. Up to this point, all God has done is says, let there be. But when it comes to you and I, he stooped down and he grabbed a handful of dirt. And the Bible says that he breathed into that and we became who we are. But what I want you to see, because this is going to be very important to the second question we ask, is here is God stooping down and here is divinity touching humanity. Here is divinity stooping down and reaching into humanity. Isn't that just like our God? To stoop down. Now you're going to see this again, but it's a great picture that he stooped down. And, and, and basically he gives us dominion. He creates Adam, then Eve. You know that story. He says to Adam, look, man, I've created you so I can have a relationship with you. And, and, and I want you to have dominion down there. And I'm going to have dominion up here. And I want you to have authority down there. In fact, whatever you call those animals, that's what they're going to be called. And I'll have authority up here. And I've created this earth for you to have dominion and to enjoy the fruit thereof. Therefore, he is saying, uh, you be the king down there, I'll be the king up here. Which is where we get the saying, king of kings and lord of lords. And the Bible says something very interesting to us. He says, but, but of all this garden I've created for you, there's one, there's one tree that you cannot eat from. And because God loved us so much, he gave us an option. How many know if you eliminate free will out of the story of creation, then we have to eliminate love also? People will always say, well, why did God put that forbidden fruit in the garden? Because he loved us enough to let us choose whether we would choose him or not choose him. Matter of fact, here's what he says about that tree in Genesis chapter number 2, verse number 17. It says, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, they didn't know, they didn't have knowledge of evil. Let me say it another way. Wouldn't it be great to live in a world where you didn't have knowledge of sorrow, knowledge of pain, come on, knowledge of evil? No, at that time they only knew relationship and righteousness with, with God. And he said, but if you eat of this tree from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, you'll hear a lot of people say when they ate the apple. The Bible doesn't say it was an apple. It was just a forbidden fruit. And for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. He says, in other words, I've created you to live forever. Matter of fact, that's why when you cut yourself, your blood corpuscles will come together and your body will begin to heal itself. When you cut your hair, it'll grow back. When you cut your fingernails, it grows back. Some of us, when you lose your hair, we're under the curse. How many know what I'm saying, right? But even medical doctors to this day, they understand why we die, but they can't explain because our bodies are continually rejuvenating itself, and it doesn't make sense why our body dies. Well, I know why our bodies die, because God said if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And here's what happened. Their bodies began to die, but their spirit man died immediately. And that's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, the greatest Bible teacher of his time, that unless a man is born again... Unless a spirit comes alive, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, now here's another interesting fact, and it, it's hard to wrap our brains around this, 
But God created the human race, or Adam, for relationship. And the Bible says something interesting in Genesis. It says that God would come down in the cool of the evening and fellowship with Adam. Can you imagine that? That in the cool of the evening, God would just come on, come on, Adam, let's talk about the day, you know? I don't know if they strutted or not, but, you know, I just did that. I don't know why I did that. Because I guess just because it sounds cool that God would come down and hang out with Adam. And maybe Adam would say, man, those bees are driving me nuts. You know, I, I don't know. But they would come down, and the Bible says that they would fellowship together. But there was one particular day that God showed up for his appointment. God showed up for his date and Adam wasn't there. Mm. Now, now, what I'm getting ready to tell you is a little more storytelling, and I know it's hard to wrap our minds theologically around it, but if you would just let me have a little bit of freedom in the story, um, Adam is hiding from God, the Bible says. Now, I know none of you have ever hid from God, so it's really hard for us to relate to this part of the story. But how many know you got some family members that have hid from God, right? Uh, and uh, I, I almost put that in a form of a question. How many of you have ever hid from God? But that's not one of my questions. I told you there would only be two questions today. So God would come down, and he, and he comes down, and Adam's not there. Now, this part, this is just storytelling, just so I can fill in the blanks. My human mind likes to imagine the story that God came down to their meeting place. Maybe they met by the pomegranate tree. By the, by the creek. I, I don't know. I, I just like to add imagination in there. And, and I know God doesn't wear a watch, so forgive me all you Bible theologians in the room, but, uh, but I just have to imagine God going, hmm, he, he, he should have been here by now. We, we meet at this time every day, and uh, he should have been here by now. I'm missing our time together. I created him to have fellowship with me and me to have fellowship with him. And, and this is our time for fellowship. This is our time for hanging out. This is our time to share our hearts with one. He, he, he really, he, he's running a little late today. I don't even know if before the fall you could be running late. How many know what I'm saying, right? And, 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 and that's when I just imagine the whole universe stopping because the answer asks a question. Adam, where are you? Now, I know what you're thinking. Come on, Ken. God can see through trees. I know. He can see through trees. And God can see through excuses also. Am I right about it? But I, 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 I want to investigate this question for just a minute, and I want to show you that it's in the Bible. Here it is, Genesis chapter number 3. Here's what it says. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, and, and, and by the way, for all of you that say, man, I don't know what Eve's problem was, the problem was Adam. He was standing right there letting her mess up, because then she turned and gave it. Adam wasn't like on a hunting trip somewhere, guys, all right? He was right there, and so he was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves, all right? So shame enters in, verse number 8 and 9, watch this. Then the man and his wife heard the sounds of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden. There it is, in the cool of the day. In other words, he's coming for our appointment. He's coming to hang out. 
He's walking in the cool of the day. Watch this. And they hid from the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? The King James Version says it this way. I grew up memorizing it this way. Adam, where art thou? That gets hard to say, you know. Where art thou? But where are you? I just have to imagine right now when God, the voice of God, asks a question, where are you? I, I, I don't know. I can't prove that it happens this way. It's just my imagination. I just have to imagine everything went silent. The bees stopped buzzing. The birds quieted down. The angels in heaven stopped and said, wait, wait, wait. What, how, how could this be? Because now the answer to everything is asking a question. And if God is asking a question, who in the world could answer the question that the sum total of every equation is asking? How could God be asking? Now, make no mistake, God can see through the trees. We've covered that. And he can see through all of the excuses that we hide behind. And he can see uh, through all the things we're trying to cover up. But what he is saying, come on, parents, if you've raised kids, you know this. Have you ever caught your kids doing something they shouldn't be doing? And you know what they've done, don't you? But you always say, what have you done? Come on, mamas, where are you at? Right? What have you? Now, you know what they've done because you were a little kid once before, too. You can see the crumbs all over their face. You know what they've done, but you ask this question. And God, I would submit, is not so much asking, Adam, where are you geographically? What God is really saying, in essence, what have you gotten yourself into? Because what you've gotten yourself into, I know nothing about. Ah, Because he is a God without sin and without rebellion. And so God is asking the question, whatever you've just done does not look like me. And I created you to be a reflection of me on the earth. And now when I see you hiding and filled with shame and naked and feeling shameful, what I see is not what I created. What have you done? Mm. And I would propose to you this. I would propose that the whole story of Easter is is God now answering the very question that he asks of Adam. Because God needed to study the question. It was not the answer he was looking for. He can see through trees. But he needed to study the question. Where are you? What are you into? Why don't you look like me anymore? What is this that has gotten on you? Why are you now filled with sin? Why are you now filled with shame? And so God, come on now, he comes to investigate or to study the question. Are you guys with me? I know you're expecting the tomb is empty and the stone's been rolled away. Gotcha, all right? You already know that story. I just want to take a little different look at it. And and, and watch this, it's like, It's like this, and you've heard preachers say this. Well, now because of sin, there was something separating God from his creation, and it's called sin. And so in essence, what God is saying is you can no longer come to me, so I'm going to now have to come to you. See, sin is keeping you from getting into my holiness and my righteousness because of what you've done, because of your rebellion and because of what you've done. So I will come to you so that I can answer the question, where are you? 
I know most of you in this room perhaps are serving God. And it's wonderful to be on this side of the cross and serving God. But can you think back to a day where God might have been asking you the question, what have you gotten yourself into? This is not what I created you for. This is not my plans and purposes. And God wants to know, where are you? I can think back to that. I was a lost little kid. I was a little kid hiding behind my own trees, the tree of shame, feeling like, not that, I, not that I had done something bad, but shame was telling me that I was something bad and that I was somebody's mistake and, and the fig leaves of excuses. And, 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 and you can hide behind not only bad things, but you can hide behind good things. I was hiding behind success. I was hiding behind my ministry. I was hiding behind religion. But God loved me enough not to leave me where I was, and he came to investigate the question. Aren't you glad for it, everybody? So the first question is, where are you? Here's my second question, and that's all I have for you today. It brings me to my second question, and that is, what will you do with Jesus? You see, I would propose again that God wanted to investigate the question, where are you? What is this shame? What is this guilt? What is this hurt? What is this, what is this stuff you're going through because what's in you now is not in me? You don't look like me. And so, to study the problem, he must go to where the problem is. Do you hear me building up to Easter, everybody? See, he can't study the problem from his lofty place. He has to get into the things that the problem creates. He has to know what it is to be betrayed. He has to know what it is to be tempted. He has to know what is this that you have gotten yourself into. And so God makes the decision, I will come to seek and to save those that are lost. Because as much as he's seeking me, you will never find me because our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. So I will come and I will seek and I will say, I'll play some hide and go seek with you, Adam. I'll come find you behind your excuses. I'll come find you behind your religion. I'll come find you behind the trees uh, and aren't you glad that he came and found you come on now right and the bible says and the bible says that he, he he came to dwell amongst us that's what we sing at christmas emmanuel god with us and so he came here to dwell with us because what he's saying is i want to understand what you've gotten into where are you i want to understand it I want to understand. Aren't you glad that we have a God that understands where we're at? Come on. He's not some lofty God that is not touched with the feelings of our frailties, that touched with the feelings of our hurts and our disappointments and our pains and our angers and all of those things. He's touched with those because he asked the question and he decided to investigate his own question. And so he decides as he comes, he takes off deity in the form of a son and he puts on humanity in the dressing room of a young virgin girl by the name of Mary. I'm sorry, that's the Christmas story. That's the Christmas story. But we had to touch on that before we can get to today. It's the Christmas story. And by the way, remember when he created Adam? He stooped down to the dirt. Isn't the Christmas story of God coming from heaven to earth 
Isn't it the same picture that we've seen in creation? It's a picture of divinity stooping down and touching the dirt of humanity. Come on. It's illustrated in a story that many of us, if we grew up in church, we've heard at least once before. It shows, it's demonstrated in the picture of the woman that's caught in the act of adultery. Do you know this story? The law and the lawmakers bring her to Jesus because the law would condemn her for the sin that she had committed. But once again, we see God investigating his own question as Jesus stoops down to the dirt and he begins to write in the dirt and he looks up and he Asked the girl, he asked the lady, where are your accusers? And she says, I have none. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Aren't you glad that in Christ there is no condemnation? Right, everybody? But it's a picture. It's a picture, of, again, of divinity touching humanity. And friends, that's truly what the Easter message is all about. It's about a stooping Savior that would come to our level to investigate the answer to his own question. I am so glad we didn't have to find the answer, but he came and found the answer for us. Can I get an amen in the house today? And the Bible says this, the Bible says then he lived among us and, and, and he touched us with, and, and he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities and he, and he investigates and, and he had to be born here so that he could be related to us. And you say, Ken, why is that important? Because the only way he could ever relate to us is by being related to us, to walk where we walk. And and the Bible says in all ways he was tempted, just like we're tempted. So, So that he would be able to answer the question, where are you? And after living on this earth and being betrayed by friends and crying over the death of a friend, and being angry at injustice that he's seen going on in the temple, and, and experiencing the full range of emotions, and being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, and, and the enemy coming to him. The Bible says at the end of his life that he was tempted in all ways, just like us. There is nothing we've been through that he hasn't felt too. Why? Because he's answering his own question. What have you gotten yourself into? Aren't you glad that's the kind of Savior we serve? See, there's a lot of religions in the world, and you've got to make some pilgrimage to some place to sit outside some tomb or some statue. And I can tell you, that stone statue is not touched with your feelings. But we have a Savior that walked where we walked and was tempted like we're tempted and answers his own question. Amen, everybody? Yeah. So he could be touched. He understands things like pain. He understands things like rejection. He understands things like betrayal. He understands temptation. He understands sadness. He understands anger. But the question that comes the night, he was falsely accused and betrayed. And the question is, what will you do with Jesus? He is arrested. You know the story. You've seen the movies. He's been up all night. He's shifted from one court to the other. One of his friends sold him out for some money. The other one denies him and cusses that he even knows him. The one that just hours ago swore that he would never, in fact, he would even die with Jesus if he needed him to. The others run and hide, and now he's standing alone before Pilate. And Pilate isn't concerned with right or wrong. Pilate is just being political, and he's like, man, I need votes in the upcoming election. I am not making a decision one way or the other. And on that night, Pilate has the power to release Jesus 
but he puts the power in the people's hands. And he asks the crowd, who shall I release, Barabbas or Jesus? And here we find it in Matthew chapter number 27, verse number 22. And here's what the Bible says to us. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? That's our second question. Because he's in this position, because he's answering the first question, and now he's in this position. And the world says, what shall we do then with this Jesus? Ladies and gentlemen, whether you like it or not, and especially because you're here today, every one of us are forced to deal with both these questions. Where are you? God's looking for you. God loves you. God cares about you. God cares what you're into. God cares what your hurts are. God cares where your heart is. Aren't you glad? And now, though, that you know that he cares, that you know that he has a plan, and you, he know, you know that he has a purpose for your life, now we have to ask the same question, what shall I do then with Jesus? And they yelled, crucify him. It's crazy. I know if we're there, we would never in a million years ever say this. And crucify him they did. How could this be that Jesus would die? It goes all the way back to my opening verse, Genesis 2.17. And if you eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. But God loved us too much to let us die. So his son, his only begotten son, said, let me die in their place. I will satisfy what the law required. I will satisfy your own words that you spoke in Genesis 2.17. And instead of all of the human race dying, I will come and I will die. Wow. Now what are you going to do with this Jesus who sacrificed himself for our good? Isn't that good news, everybody? That's the Easter message. Instead of paying the price, Jesus paid the price for us. And he defeated the power of sin and the hold of sin over us. Because of Adam's sin, we are now all spiritually dead. We're born spiritually dead, unable to achieve, unable to get to God. Even if we weren't hiding behind the trees, we're unable to get to God. The Bible says that our righteousness, the laws of God, they are only there to show us our need for God. Have you ever considered all the laws in the Old Testament? I know people today that are not in church because they're afraid of all the laws. But what I wish they would hear today is you're not under all those laws. You're under grace. See, the law was given to prove to us that we can't get to God on our own, right? And, and by the way, the religious leaders of the Old Testament of Jesus' day, they thought they could keep all the laws. And they worked real hard doing it. The problem is, while they were keeping all the laws, they were breaking other rules. Like pride, and arrogance, and ego. Come on, somebody. Have you ever met a Christian that's just filled with pride and arrogance, and they know everything already? Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, the Old Testament will either give us a sense of failure, I can't get there on my own, or thinking more highly of ourselves and being filled with pride. But Jesus comes along, and he offers a solution. He says, I've fulfilled all the law, and now I'm bringing you the good news, which is what the gospel is, which is what grace is. Can I get a Christian? Be thankful today for his amazing grace, and that is the story of Easter. It's all about grace, and it's all about what Jesus has accomplished for us. Amen, everybody? Come on now. 
Here's what that means, is that God's plans and God's purposes, when Adam sinned, God's plan for Adam, they were destroyed. When Adam sinned, God's purposes for Adam were destroyed because now there was something between them. And now we are all born as descendants of Adam. If Adam and Eve had had kids before they sinned, we'd have a whole different story. But we are all descendants of Adam now. And so, therefore, that's why we say we're born sinners. We're not sinners because we've done the act of sin. You're, you're, you're not a sinner because of what you seen evil, heard evil, done evil this week. We're sinners because we're born spiritually dead. And... Um, God's plans and purposes are now able to live in our life. I know that you know this, but because he rose again, he fulfilled the law, he defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he answered his question, now I know where you're at. And because I've become related to you, I can relate to you. Come on, and let's come. And he's made a way for us. Isn't that good? Now, remember, I'm on the verge of starting to preach right there. Remember, this message isn't about the answer. It's about the questions. If it was all about the answer, I would take you all the way over to Revelations 5 and watch all of creation sad because God can't even open the title deed to human, the human race that he created. No one was worthy. But watch Jesus enter in through the back door of heaven. I don't know if heaven has a back door. It's just my story, and I'm going to preach it the way I want to, all right? But the Bible does say in Revelation, the elders look up as they're gathered around the throne room of God, weeping because no one is worthy to save the human race. But the Bible says Jesus comes in, and they say, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who looks like he has just been slain, has resurrected. He rose again. He's walking through heaven, and he takes the title deed that no one is worthy to open. Only he is because he fulfilled the law, and he answered the questions, and now we can be redeemed. Come on, everybody. Amen? But I digress. So back to my two questions, and I'll close with these. Here's the two questions just one more time in case you missed them. Where are you today? Where are you today, really? I don't mean physically. God knows where you're at physically. Uh, You can't hide from him physically. And, And by the way, you can't hide from him any kind of way. He loves you too much to leave you alone. He'll find you in the prison cell. He'll find you with a needle in your arm. And he'll even find some people in church thinking they got it all together. Come on, somebody, right? He knows where you're at. He's been. He has walked where we walk. See, sin has tried to hide you from God. So the second question, Jesus comes. And so here's the second question. What will you do with Jesus? And you have some options today. You have a lot of options uh, and, and we like options, so we have some options today. You can ignore them. And, and, and I, I would take a line from somebody, uh, some great thinker that said, how's that working for you? <laughs> you can ignore them, and you can reject them, and you can say, well, I don't believe the way you believe. Okay, that's okay. So you believe in your own kind of God that you created in your mind. You, you can reject them. You, you can postpone him. You can say, not today, i got to get a few things together yet. Yeah, good, good luck on that. Good luck on that. It's like trying to take a bath before you take a shower. You know, let me clean myself up before I get cleaned up kind of thing, right? And by the way, a relationship with God is not about getting cleaned up. It's not about what you have to do and what you got to stop doing. He'll deal with all that stuff. It's about you having a relationship with him. That's what he wants, and that's why he came. Or you can accept him today. 
You, you have some options. John 3.16, at least I would think everybody knows this. He loves us too much to leave us the way we are. Adam, what have you gotten yourself into? Let me come check it out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that whoever would believe, how much easier can he make it? Not whoever would work hard. Not whoever would have a Christian bumper sticker on their car. Not whoever had Sunday school perfect attendance. Not whoever carries the biggest Bible. Not whoever acts the most spiritual. Not whoever quotes the most verses. Not whoever hasn't messed up. Not for, no, 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 no. Not for all you churchy suchy muchies. No, that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. Come on, somebody, right? All over this place, I'm going to pray, and I hope that today's Easter message at least caused you to think of Easter a little different. Some of you might leave disappointed because I didn't talk about the tomb is empty and the stone's been rolled away, um, but I think you already know that part. What I want you to do is leave here wrestling with two questions. And by answering the two questions, you have to preach the message of Jesus to yourself. Mm -hmm. 